Welcome back to another Room With A Review podcast episode. If you've been listening to any of the previous episodes, you know I've been trying to figure out what I can say to introduce each episode. The one I thought of was that line from Ice Ice Baby, uh, which is along the lines of uh, Ice is back with a brand new invention. I believe that's the right song and lyric. Didn't actually Google it, but it popped into my head a few hours ago and I thought, oh, I'm going to see if that works. However, I then need to rework the invention part to maybe something like a recommendation. So... In future episodes, keep an eye out to see if I figure that out. Uh, but that's not why you're here. You're not here to talk me, hear me talk about Vanilla Ice. So, this week's episode is kind of... Well, it is, it's not kind of. It is two texts, but it's still the one. It's the adaptation Ready Player One, which would also therefore include the book. So we've got a novel and a film. Uh, I first read the book oh, a couple of years ago now popped up on a list people were you know there was a reading challenge per month and it popped up and it was before it became kind of a big hit and before it was announced it was going to have a tv a a movie adaptation and it was great i loved reading the book it had so many it was so laden with references to various things that it was a great kind of one of those nostalgia trips. And I've talked on other episodes about texts that are very good for nostalgia, but this one is a level of its own. I I've, I've, don't think I could think of anything that has this level of just intertextuality to it, for lack of a better word. But for anyone that isn't aware, it's, it's a... So the book is about a society futuristic where everyone essentially lives in an online world so you still live in the real world and you still have things you can do in the real world but most people engage in what's called the oasis so it's just an online system because their lives aren't great and so while you're there you can kind of do anything you want and they kind of feed into each other the more you spend time in the oasis the less you make the real world better and the more time you spend in the real world, the more time you want to spend in the Oasis. So it kind of feeds into itself, the the concept, which I think is a really good thing. I think that's a good... There's a bit more thought to this uh, dystopian text than, say, Maze Runner or uh, what's the other one? The, the, it was a trilogy, made him into movies, Insurgent. It's that one. Divergent, Divergent series, whatever it's called. Those ones, they were... Mm, too much like Hunger Games and yet still didn't really understand how we got to that point in those texts and major on a similar sort of thing. But Ready Player One was unique in its concept and that's what I really liked about it as well. So all the way through it, it's basically the guy that creates it, uh, a guy called Halliday, he created the Oasis. He grew up throughout the 80s, early 90s and so he put into the Oasis all of these things about this nostalgia. And so the whole society is really just nostalgia-driven. They, they're trying to just recapture these times before world turned really bad. And I found that really interesting because that is essentially what nostalgia is. It's just something that feels good about a, simple, a, a perceived simpler time or something that you just really, really enjoy and you've held on to that makes you feel good uh, for various reasons. So in terms of all that, I think it's really cool. So in the book, every paragraph or, you know every page at least had at least one reference to something. So some of it was arcade-type games, songs, movies, actors, people, 
even events to an extent. And when you read it, if you grew up through a lot of those things or close enough to those era and you're familiar enough, enough with them, it's just great uh, reading through it and picking up and seeing how many... And it, that makes it re-readable because as you go back through it, you pick up on more stuff as you learn about them. So in terms of all of that, it's, it's really, really interesting. And when they did the movie, it was pretty true to the book from memory. It was, you know, a couple of years would have been about four years between when I read the book and when I watched the movie recently. So my memory was a little bit hazy. I had a good memory of what happened. Like I knew the core ideas and I knew other bits and pieces that would come up. And the movie very much did the same sort of thing. But, and you know, the movie was made by Steven Spielberg. He produced it. I don't think he directed it, but he's definitely the producer. Uh, and it was, the script was written, I think, with Spielberg and Ernest Cline, who wrote the novel. So it was really good. I, th- I liked that it was true to the the novel, but changed enough stuff because you couldn't have narration all the way through dropping these references nonstop. So that was a good balance, I think, they, they found. But what I really liked about it was that just, I don't know, it was, it was definitely a nostalgia, but I think some of the ideas were really original. And... After I read the book, I used extracts from it, especially some early on. It's really good for all sorts of things. But as I've already said many times, if you want to teach intertextuality, there is many, 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 many good texts you can use. But this is just, it's very clear exactly the intertextual references because some of them are just direct connections and statements and direct allusions. Other ones are a little bit more subtle in terms of character uh, or events, plot type stuff setting even in in the movie they could do a lot more of it because in the background you had posters and things like that uh you had the soundtrack obviously as well the settings and visually you could have just all sorts of easter eggs and i know there were plenty of interviews about when it came out those easter eggs i know spielberg talked about it a lot and it was quite funny seeing some of the references to his own movies that were in it although they tried to play that down a little bit but it was it was really really fun it's a really fun text both versions so in terms of what let's just get there straight away but yeah i would definitely you know consider i know we've got it on our bookshelf at school the copy of it for a class you'd probably do it with your 10 just because it's got slightly more adult uh, areas you could definitely do it with your 11 in contemporary possibilities so I think there's there's plenty of places for it to go. Nine, ten, and up are the places, and those three things uh, I would put. But in terms of what else you could do, I think character is a bit lacking. They're pretty two-dimensional. I don't think there's a lot of creativity there. Maybe the movie does a little bit, because there's a bit of a reveal about one or two of the characters that I think are better maybe in the movie because they're more visual reveals that therefore it's slightly more effective in a visual sense. Uh, you could... It's also good in terms of just... It's a sort of... It, I'll get into some of the problems with it because if you haven't guessed, I'm hesitating because I'm trying to figure out whether to talk about the problems first or after. I think what you'll find is this is the sort of thing that a lot of students would love to produce in terms of their own work. They would love to create a text that is just top to bottom filled with references and for them it would be probably things from the 2000s and 2010s. 
which is fine. Uh, you know, nothing wrong with those decades either. But we would probably criticise them for not having original ideas. And I think that is the problem with the story itself. I want to read Amada by Ernest Klein. I want to see if it's similar or different, if he does a better job of it. But one of the problems I have with Ready Player One is that the main complications are kind of solved pretty easily and not necessarily the main complication but the the big roadblocks that are put to them so they have a competition basically the other premise of the story is that there's a competition after Halliday dies as to who will get ownership of the oasis and so obviously big there's a big company that wants to claim ownership and then they can control everything which again lacks a little bit of complexity and I don't think it needs to have complexity in terms of its target audience it's definitely aimed at teenagers and younger teenagers too, to an extent. I think anyone around that 14 to 17 age bracket, for, you know, when we, a lot of people would say, oh, there's not enough reading going on. This is the sort of book that students or kids would read or teenagers would read. They'd see the movie and go, okay, and then they'd read it and it would probably engage a lot of them. Uh, Not all, but a lot. So I don't think it's meant to have an overly complex villain. Uh, even a non-entity villain, which is personified in a singular character. But the other problem is the the other aspects of it are just not complex either. So they have to solve three different kind of riddles slash puzzles and defeat certain things. So it's really frustrating in that the main character, who is meant to be this huge fan of Halliday, is the only one that could figure it out. And it took years for him to figure out. And then when he figured out, it was pretty straightforward what he had to do. And it wasn't really that hidden. And I think that was... I was talking about it with someone uh, at work who has also read it and taught it. And we were talking about how do you resolve that issue of it needs to be open enough that as an audience you could pick it up without it just having to be spoon-fed to you. But also it can't be too direct where there's no time to figure it out either so for instance if because otherwise then everyone else in the society would have figured it out and that was part of the problem is that it was a bit frustrating that it was years before they figured out the first clue and then once they figured out they raced through the rest that was a little bit frustrating uh so i i don't know that that was probably the biggest flaw of all i think yes some of the fairly obvious stereotypical lack of originality in terms of the broad plot is frustrating but it's something I can live with because it's just really fun and when you have just a fun text it's not trying to be hey we're going to be Oscar bait we're going to be just a fun nostalgic text great do that because this is how you do it I talked another episode about Detective Pikachu and how it tried to be nostalgia and failed miserably this is how you do it if you want to do it it's this uh it's this text so yeah in terms of that it it definitely works but it was just and each puzzle was oh okay we get it okay and he was the only one that could solve it for some reason and yet it wasn't all that difficult I don't know it was that's just the biggest issue I think is that things were too convenient I I'm really not great on those specific terms that I always get mixed up between the MacGuffin and the Deuce Ex Machina and there's another one. But it was kind of like that. It was kind of 
a lot of that sort of use, which was a bit disappointing. And I think I would have liked to have seen, because the book was definitely like that, I would have liked to have seen that resolved in the movie where Spielberg kind of goes, you know what, let's fix that a little bit before we make it. I definitely think they could have had the chance to do it. But how you actually do it, I mean, I'd have to think of it through a lot more. But I think just changing the clues would be one thing. I think having some kind of fumble around in the dark where you kind of stumble upon something that reveals it, something that nobody had known and it was just kind of coincidence a little bit more than it was because it was something that, that was the problem I think, there was no, it wasn't a coincidence where they just figured it out. It was something they'd already known and then they were like, oh, that's what it is. It's like, well, hang on a minute, if you already knew that, why did it take so long to get there? So that's probably what I'm trying to say is it was too neat in terms of how they resolved all the problems. They just did them. So that was one of the letdowns for it. I think, yeah, but in terms of... So let's get back to the nostalgia then because there's some really cool scenes in the movie. I've Again, the book, great. You can read it and it is a page turn. It's one of the few books I would say I didn't stop putting it down. I read it pretty much every spare moment I had in about a week. It was great. Couldn't get enough of it. But then... In terms of, let me think. Yeah, I mean, the references were great, as I said. Uh, but in, in the film, there was a brilliant section. And this is what I really loved about it is there was multiple scenes like this. There was just so many scenes that were really, really well done. And one in particular was, was about 10 minutes of the film, uh, homage to The Shining where they got put in the Shining movie and they had to work their way through it and acquire a couple of things and solve some problems. So the, the plot itself at this point, again, it was a little bit frustrating and that was a little bit neat and tidy uh, for my liking. But the way they used so many shot-for-shot shot exact replicas, and they obviously used part of the film itself, but then threw in some other bits amongst it, it was so well done that I... It's that kind of stuff that was great that just you watch it and there's this shining scene that goes through, as I said, about 10, 15 minutes. That's just so well done and really exemplifies everything that's good about that movie. So while also kind of including some of the problems with it. But in terms of, again, let's think about it. Would you teach it? Yeah, definitely. There's plenty of areas which I've already mentioned. The book is worth teaching. You just have to kind of really encourage students to do it. We were talking about it would be great if you had a hyperlinked because it would fit the text so well but a digital copy of the book with hyperlinks to all the references that are made because that would be incredible if you had that as a student reading it and just clicking oh what's this what's this and then you can kind of come back to them as well if you wanted to uh how you would do that don't know but it would fit the text so well because it would exactly uh kind of realize the technical side of the whole thing so that's the main text for this week. Ready Player One, absolutely worth reading. Definitely usable in the classroom in many ways, predominantly for intertextuality, but you could do some things with character. You could do some things with symbol and contrast. Those would be the main ones. Narrative you could do. Again, it's very straightforward. So if you had students that needed that kind of stuff, it works perfectly. But again, parts of the film, you could do the whole film. You could do uh, the, that, that shining scene I mentioned. 
probably the beginning that had a little bit too much exposition because it has to kind of create the world somehow. And I was, again, I don't know how you reconcile that with not just giving straight up exposition. But I think all the Easter eggs throughout the film are fantastic. You could kind of just do a scene of that little subtlety and how you can... It wasn't on the nose at any point. And I think that's what I liked about it too. So there's lots of things you could just do with it depending on what you're trying to teach and what sort of concepts you're trying to demonstrate to students. But in terms of... It's a resource-rich text that you could do a lot with it. Uh, it just depends on what it fits, what you're trying to teach, really. But... Yeah, I'll leave it at that for Ready Play One, both the book and film, thoroughly enjoyable. Things to work on, but could be better. Uh, but but could be better, but also could like are uh, great as it is. So let's leave it at that, and I'll be back in a moment with Ad of the Week. Ad of the Week this week is a different kind of ad than some of the other ones I've been doing lately. And I saw it for the first time ever, even though it's a few years old the other day. It's amazing. It was an ad for University of Western Australia, who is a university that keeps popping up all sorts of places uh, and different things I've been doing lately. So very intriguing to me. It's just kind of one of those, uh, what's the word for it? Just ever present. Um, There's an actual word for it, but anyway which is kind of into the front of my mind a lot lately. So it was interesting. Someone else was showing this to a group of students and it was showing off all the different things that University of Western Australia has to offer. So they had the musical components, they had technology side of it, they had, let me think, just the campus itself and the various buildings that are around. Not only that, but then it was done in a, so it was a couple of years ago, as I said, uh, but as a homage to Star Wars. So the musical orchestra were playing the Star Wars theme. They had C-3PO appearing. They had people dressed up in costumes. They had one of the little toy BB-8s rolling around. Really, really, really well done. And they did it just to kind of celebrate Star Wars Day, May the 4th, which was cool. And as a big Star Wars fan that's great. It appealed to me tremendously. And if I was over in Western Australia, it would leave no doubt that that's where I wanted to go. Uh, if I saw that, <laughs> just that's literally how much I love Star Wars that if someone goes, yeah, we appreciate Star Wars. I'm in, you've told me already. Don't, don't keep going on. I'm in, I'm invested. So yeah, this ad, it was really, really fun. Uh, again, just all the way through different parts of Star Wars and how the university would connect to those things. As it says, you've got obviously the orchestra, but also some of the technology side of it, the robotics of it, uh, the campus itself and just the different parts of it. Yeah, it was a really, really great ad. And this is the best part of it in that, again, as I said, one of the other people was showing it to the students that, you know, as they watched it, I kind of said, oh, is, what's this for? And they said, oh, it's, it's just a video they made. And I said, oh, okay. I said, is it an ad? And they said, well, no. And I said, oh, so not technically an ad, and yet it's still an ad because it's still just showing them. And as I said already, it's the sort of thing that, hey, I've got your interest, come to this university. And that is exactly what advertisements are and should be. They shouldn't be trying to, hey, here's the product. Here's, like those, you would all know them, but the the sham wow or the hose link and 
and whatever else. Like, there's a ladder, there's knives and stuff like that. You know, those old style 90s or late night ads where it's, here's a product, buy now, get one free. No. If you're doing your ad like that, yeah, it's really cheap. And yeah, it tells everyone what they need to know. And yeah, they, they do work, but you're also picking your times to do those to people that are going to be susceptible to doing it. This ad is brilliant. This, that's what I like about it. The way it's distributed, it's all online. They also put out with it a list of, I don't know if it was connected to it, maybe it was a link in the comments to it, but of activities you could do to celebrate Star Wars Day. So this ad is not for the uni directly. It is adver- It's using the Star Wars brand and just jumping in on the celebrations that people do every year for it, which I think is great. There's not many pop culture things that have an exact day that, that stands out like that. And it's pretty widely known, May the 4th, these days, even if you're not a big Star Wars fan, it has really become a thing, I think, more so in recent years, which is incredible that that's managed to transcend just so many levels. But this ad, even better than that, is just how much it it doesn't advertise to you. It's not trying to say, hey, buy this product, do this thing, come to this place directly. It's there and it's just using, again, the brand recognition of Star Wars Associating itself with that and leaving it up to you to go, oh, okay, I understand now. But it, at no point does it indicate that, like, it, it's not over the top with University of Western Australia. It appears right at the end and that's all. And that's, as I said before, that's what ads are these days and what ads should be. It shouldn't be, it needs to be something memorable that viewers and audiences look at and go, oh, this appeals to me and I'm interested in it. That's how it needs to work. They need to be something that's going to sustain your engagement in it. And especially as ads go online and use of YouTube to advertise stuff, that's what ads are becoming. This, this ad would not have been that expensive to make, relatively speaking. It doesn't cost them anything to put it on YouTube. And once it's one of those things that goes viral, people look at it and go, oh, this is cool. And it keeps being shown and shown and shown. And that is exactly how advertising works. Because from that, you then make money off any other ads that show around that video. So it's brilliant. It's just brilliant advertising. It's playing the game exactly. And that is one I would use and I will be using in future when I teach advertising to students about exactly how advertising should be done. Just go and watch it. Look up University of Western Australia Star Wars Day video. You'll find it no problem. It's only a couple minutes long. If that, you'll, you'll see exactly what I mean, how well it just covers what advertising is and should be these days. So... There's my ad of the week for you. And again, definitely one you could use in your own teaching practice. Recommendation time. And I wasn't sure what I was going to say for this one, but I've got to do it. The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. If you haven't been watching it, absolutely watch it. I mean, it ties in really well with what I was talking about with Ready Player One. That whole, let's go back 20, 30 years, you know, 80s and 90s, and how it all kind of pieces together. And so I think that's why it's my recommendation for this episode is because it just complements Ready Player One so well. There's a lot of podcasts or people talking about it, if you haven't, if you're not aware, but anyone that's lived through the 80s, 90s, and just, or is into basketball, I mean, everyone's already watching it if you're doing that. But go and watch it. It's a good documentary series and it will be uh, done in a future episode as the main text as a documentary, but I just cannot talk highly enough of it. It 
covers so many different topics and it's not just about the basketball or about him as a player. There's psychological components, there's the history of it all, there's the sportsmanship and character components, there's just as a documentary, it's really well made. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously if you're not into sports and, or, you know, it's not your thing, fine, I get it. It, I still think you should at least watch the first two episodes and just give it a go because I think there is really something for everyone. I Now, obviously, if you're under the age of probably about 13, don't watch it. I don't think you'll appreciate it. But anyone from teenage and up uh, could easily watch this and go, wow, okay. Because I think we could all look at individuals from our lives, whether they're sports people or not, that have kind of hit these levels and just really, 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 really go, oh, okay, so that probably makes more sense for this person. And we all know people like some of the individuals that appear in this this show. So that's what I do recommend you go and watch. If you haven't been, eight episodes are out. The final two come out this week. So it's a 10-part documentary. Each episode's in about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. It won't... It'll take a little bit of time to watch it, but it's not a long series. And once you know that all 10 are there, there's nothing else to watch. So go and watch The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, or the Chicago Bulls documentary, really. It is really, really good. Just a lot in it that's really interesting. So that's my recommendation for this week. And one moment, and I'll wrap up with War and Peace. All right, finally, the same as always, War and Peace. Again, the last few weeks, I've really struggled to stay on top of my reading. This week, I did again fall behind by a couple of chapters but thankfully they're a little bit short than what I had thought so I'll be catching up on them I did get through some I think because with students coming back uh this week I was a little bit more tired than usual I had a couple of extra meetings that went on so I didn't really get on top of it also something I've been commenting about with a few people is that again I'm part of this too but I'm not doing extras all the podcasting community people that do them they're saying, oh, well, everyone's got more time to listen. No, no, we don't. Because all of you that are doing extra podcasts now, because that's how you have to release content, because you can't do videos like you used to, there's now extra podcasts to listen to, so I can't keep on top with them all. Uh, which means I've got to find that balance between reading versus podcast, listening versus viewing the things I want to view, all the problems to have. But anyway, that's just, just why I've struggled the last couple of weeks with keeping on top of it. But anyway, uh, I'll be catching up very quickly. And then, anyway, War and Peace. So, again, it jumps around a fair bit to different characters. So, as I kind of update week by week, I've realized what I'm reading is the several chapters about one character and what they're doing, and then we move on to the next. And this week is no different. We moved back to Pierre, who was joining the Freemasons last we left him, and he was in- involved with their activities. Now he's resurfaced, he's returned to Moscow, and he has decided to leave the Freemasons. So, that's an interesting development for him. Uh, and it's kind of done it directly at the start when he returned to contrast with Andre, who has been avoiding returning to Moscow and avoiding his engagement, it seems, that was kind of alluded to uh, with Nikolai and Natasha Rostov. So Natasha meant to be engaged to Andre, but, you know, they had to wait a year. He hasn't come back yet, even though the year isn't quite up, I believe. Uh Meanwhile, Nikolai is trying to marry Sonia, their adopted sister. 
so it's just interesting how it's all kind of coming together. These different contrasts between these characters now. And while I'm sure it's probably going to happen in the next few chapters, I think Pierre is also about to go through another kind of romantic relationship. But just setting him up in terms of Moscow society and as a different perspective on individuals within it, because we've got some of these uh, older gentlemen that are viewed in a certain way and there's a bit of conflict surfacing between the Tsar and some of these families and society. And I think that's what I liked about the first third of the book so much and I'm glad that's coming back. And it's not because maybe Pierre's there, but I just think as we're shifting back into some of the more social issues, that's what I think is the best part about this book is just have to wait just reflects society in general, but especially Russian society in the 19th century. So, War and Peace continues. Uh, what an apt statement that is. But yeah, i still on track to finish it this year. I'll be very happy with myself if I do that. I really still want to finish it before December if I can. And then I've just got to figure out what I read next year. But for now, that is it. Thanks for listening to another episode. I do try to keep these down to about half an hour in case you're in the same boat with me and trying to watch, listen, view everything that's out there at the moment. Oh, and play video games. I still want to do that sometimes. And, oh yeah, and do your job. Like, I mean, that's got to come first. So anyway, thanks for listening. Please recommend it to others if you're enjoying it or if you think they will enjoy it. Leave a review. It's available on most platforms. That's that's really it. So thanks for another week and for listening and sayonara.